Well, hello everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. Today, I am joined by Nick Ionita. He is the co-founder of Flux. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. We were so fortunate to chat with uh, your co-founder, Max, last week. Mm -hmm. And he got a chance to tell us a little bit about how Flux will help with business strategies at companies. But I was curious, what we didn't really dive into was, can you tell me a little bit, Nick, about how you came up with Flux, how it came to be um, the idea that it is today? Yeah, absolutely. So Flux came out of a very personal experience and need. Myself, Max, and our other co-founder, Wei had. Um, we were employees at, an, at a startup that became a very high-growth company, which then became, through acquisition, part of Comcast. So it was this ride from 20 people to over 1,000, and then ultimately part of this huge global you know, Fortune 50 company where we went from being our, you know, the first individual contributors in our functions to execs leading very large teams in this business unit. And, you know, we kind of found that when you're small as an employee and as a manager, you have line of sight to everything. You know, everyone wears lots of hats. This is typical in startups. And I think great company cultures can connect the work the company needs done with the career development of their employees. And this can lead people on paths they may not have seen themselves taking, either because they didn't know about it, or in many cases, were even afraid to raise their hand for it. And you know, I think the three of us and many others really benefited from that. And as a result, people stayed and had great career-defining experiences. They referred others who did the same. And it was a really beautiful thing. And it set the bar for me around what building something great and lasting meant. And then we became part of this massive company. And I was hiring for product managers all the time. I was running this large product team and just constantly feeling like I was behind. And we had all the resources in the world as a large company, but we were using LinkedIn to figure out you know, who existed internally uh, that was outside of you know, that line of sight. And it just felt crazy not to know uh, who was here, who could do something, or in many cases, because these were year-long plans, you know, could be developed uh, since it was far enough out. And you know, the default was always to recruit externally, you know, bring new people in. And I think as a manager, one of the most frustrating conversations you can ever have is someone taking a job somewhere else who didn't know the role was available internally. And at that point, it's usually too late. So I actually started working with Max, who was running this huge customer uh, success organization, on moving folks from there into product roles. And it became a wild success. You know, I was facing this challenge of staffing a growing team with a highly competitive role to hire for in highly competitive markets like San Francisco and New York. And he had an extremely talented team who all couldn't be promoted to managers. You know, there's only so many spots. So what resulted was this amazing chain of succession and retention every time we need another product role. So that senior head would become two to three promotions. The external hire would be pushed down into a support role that was easier, faster, and cheaper to get. And this just simply involved looking beyond title and what people were actually capable of. Um, and I think my favorite story in all of this was we had a woman who was a classically trained architect, you know, actually designing buildings and wanted to get in tech, found herself in support. That's kind of where you land if that's, you know, you didn't do engineering in, in undergrad. And she was a rock star and worked her way into more technical and customer facing roles there and then eventually came over to product. And she just had this level of perspective and empathy for servicing customers that the average PM on my team didn't have. 
And at this point, she's still there actually leading a massive portion of a product group that's much bigger than the one I left. So eventually when we got together, we knew we were going to start a company. And um, this was the problem or rather opportunity we kept coming back to. You know, How do you take that story and make it possible for everyone? So we built the tool we wish we had had as employees and then uh, ultimately as managers. And, and here we are building Flux. I love the story. It's always good for us to relate. We can reson- It resonates with us when we hear something like that. Something that you said too, Nick, that really uh, made sense to me was around the fact that you all were using LinkedIn to find internal candidates in your own company. That's yep. crazy to me. <laughs> so, so that makes me think then, you know, how can we leverage uh, kind of this idea of flux? How can we leverage this culture of internal mobility within companies so that rather than employees leaving their existing employer when they want to try something new, we're able to retain them? Yeah, you know, it, it, it feels crazy. Like, I, I feel like anytime we, we have this discussion, because, you know, I think that's ultimately the goal. You want people to stay and develop. And I think and a big part of this is about solving visibility and access. You know, we're talking about people's careers. And I think most employees will self-direct to opportunity if they can see it, you know, believe they can access it and have seen others do the same. Uh, but right now, that's really hard, right? Like we tell employees, you know, when they start their jobs at a new company, they're told to take charge of their careers, but they aren't given the right tools. And then they're dealing with this mess of, you know, an external job board, which is a pretty insulting experience to go through if you've already been hired politics and, you know, just look at COVID, right? In these distributed environments, you know, if you're on Zoom all day, just doing your day job, all these personal networks and things that you would see outside your job have totally broken down. And so I think for, you know, a lot of people, there's just lack of tools. And, you know, if your next step isn't promotion, then what? You know, it it has to be easier to stay in advance than to leave and do it elsewhere. And in many places, it's just not. So like this is obviously a with the experience we've aimed to give employees, you know, acting as a career GPS that can show them paths to take, how to get there, others who have walked it. But I think the other piece here, you know, that this is always a difficult conversation sometimes with people, but it's, you know, managers understanding that there will be times where someone's best next step is outside your team. You know, and as a shareholder, it's better that it's still within your company than somewhere else. Uh, so this idea of protectionism, you know, is difficult because, you know, the reality is they're being pinged by external recruiters. And if they're not happy developing, they're going to respond to one of those emails. So I think a big piece of this is that visibility. But it's also if you have visibility and you can have these conversations and you can better access as a business the people that are there, uh, you know, again, through a tool like us, um, you know, these can be planned transitions. So if the move is planned and you talk about it, you know, a tool like Flux can help you also find a replacement internally so that whole exercise isn't reactive. You know, right now it's like someone leaves and it's it's a fire drill and that's not fun for anybody to go through. So there's a lot of things to solve here. But I think if you can do those things, uh, it just creates a different culture that people start to lean into as they see success. Yeah. And, and you really got me in the gut when you use the word protectivism around managers and leaders, and they really want to hold on to their teams. So you talked a little bit about that, but help us for our listeners. How do you think we could get managers a little bit more comfortable with letting employees on different teams that may not have those resume skills, but they have other things to offer? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, ultimately, skills and experiences are only part of the equation. I also think that just yeah, resumes and job descriptions are are highly flawed for 
a, a lot of reasons. I think when we talk about what you know, training a team to interview. Like when I when I ran a large product organization, when I had people who uh, I knew were going to be managers in the coming year, I would put them on interview teams so they could spend time just getting to talk to candidates before they were in charge of hiring. So they started to understand, you know, what a good candidate looks like, how to ask the right questions. And, you know, I think a big part of this is actually, you know, people understanding, you know, what is actually required. Um, you know, obviously for some jobs, like you need to know a skill to be able to do something. Um, but motivation and, you know, some of these unrelated but similar experiences people have in other roles go a long way. So taking the time to understand what someone has done and how they did it versus just relying on a job title is really key. I think we use job titles as a proxy for a lot of things, and they are, but people don't take the time to really understand, fine, this person's title was different, but what were they doing? So like that example of, you know, the sales engineer and Max's team, when I looked at that, you know, it was, okay, what does a product manager do? Well, this person here, who's not a product manager, talks to customers every day, they diagnose problems, they translate that into a need, they try to understand if the product can do it, if it can't, they either you know work with the product team to make it do it, or they work with a bunch of indirect uh, other groups in the company to help find a plan B. Like that sounds like a product manager to me. Uh, so I think getting people to think that way uh, is key. And then you have to celebrate the successes so people are aware. You know, like these moves that look atypical really aren't over time once they're done several times. And, you know, these successes Max and I had had at Comcast moving folks from support and sales engineering and product. Once the rest of the org saw this, you know, it got to a point where, you know, there were three or four different groups trying to recruit out of Max's team because everybody saw that that could be successful. So I think those things are key uh, to really, you know, lay the foundation to do this well and get people comfortable. The flip I'll just add to this too is, you know, one of the challenges I had just running a large product organization was you'd have these performance discussions and you'd set development goals. And I always saw it as a responsibility of mine to make sure that those people, that person we set the plan with had the development opportunities. And if that didn't exist on the roadmap or I couldn't give it to them, you had to go manufacture it. And so there's also this flip of, you know, if that person could go spend some time in another team, even if it's like four hours a week, helping on something and getting that experience, they're actually then coming back to my team better equipped for that promotion conversation. So I think it goes both ways and it's people being willing to just look a little bit deeper than, you know, that surface area, you know, keyword checkboxes of skills that kind of govern how a lot of job searches work right now. Yeah, I love everything that you just mentioned. One of my favorite concepts as of late is this idea of learning agility. And so really a lot of what you're mentioning is that adaptability and that flexibility and I can transfer my skills. It's all very related to what you all are doing and proposing with your platform there. So tell me then, Nick, from your perspective, what companies do you think are doing a good job of promoting a culture of internal mobility? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll call it a couple companies that that we work with that I think have been doing incredible work before we uh, partnered with them, and then obviously are kind of scaling those efforts. Uh, the first is Uber. Um, you know, given their growth over the years, perfect example of a company where there's always been new opportunity uh, opening up, and people there have been encouraged to pursue it. And you know, they had a lot of numbers, and they published this where you know, at certain years, you know, this has resulted in thirty to forty percent of hires coming from inside and them actually investing in recruiters that solely focus on internal recruitment because they've seen a lot of success. Um, when we first met the mobility team, 
they'd also had a number of these rotation and assignment programs that allowed people to flex skills they already had in new contexts, you know, for a, a short period of time. And there was a lot of data that were coming out of these programs that showed that those who participated in them stayed longer, you know, just trying something outside your seat. Um, so the focus with them now has been scaling these efforts to reach all employees. Uh, so we're working with them actually on this gig marketplace right now that's available to the entire company. And the idea being, you know, you should be able to spend some time outside your seat, either getting to upskill uh, somewhere else if you're not getting it in your seat or, you know, getting to try uh, something in a new context uh, that you already know. Uh, and these things are highly motivating for people. I'd also call out Stripe. Um, I've been constantly impressed with their focus on wanting employees to have these career-defining experiences. You know, how do we have somebody spend 10 years here? And managers really understanding that someone's best next step may not be within your team, you know, kind of what I had mentioned earlier. And I think for them, this has created more of a safe and supportive environment for exploration of new opportunity. And now it's really about how do you make all these things visible? And then for them as a business, the benefit is, you know, you've got people working on the most critical things at any given time because you're able to connect those dots. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing about Uber and Stripe. Those are great examples of companies that are, are doing a great job of promoting that internal mobility. And I loved you mentioned something about, you know, giving folks an opportunity to spend some time outside of their seat. What a great way to label that. That's super. So we've got a lot of listeners, right? And they're a group of you know, diverse listeners, all different levels, some, you know, influencers, some are individual contributors, some are running the whole show. So what do you think for those of us maybe that are influencing some of these decisions, how do you think companies can get leadership buy-in on investing more in internal mobility? Yeah. You know, I think this this touches on some of the earlier discussion, but ultimately, you know, I think good mobility programs and cultures don't just keep people longer. Uh, they help the business address what it needs now while building what it needs tomorrow. So retention is important, but so is business agility. And I think COVID has definitely proved this, uh, you know, as, as many businesses have had to react either opportunistically or because there's been negative impact. And I think, you know, realizing that you can repurpose parts of your workforce or build hard to hire roles internally um, which is allowing you then to focus external recruiting on the things that are easier to go get or you just have to go get because it doesn't exist is game changing as a business. You know, I think uh, digital transformation, some of these things for large companies is, is really, really scary. But, you know, we're in this place now where the data exists. A lot of this is, is connecting things. You know, we believe you can do, you can collect that data through just providing employees engaging experiences and treating them like customers of a company. And, you know, from that data, then we can understand, you know, how do we keep evolving this asset we have that's one of the largest expenses you're making as, as a business. You know, I always think about this as, you know, if recruiting is sales to get people into a company, there's really no analog for customer success, right? And we want employees to be successful because if they are, the business is successful. So the more we can do that, the more we can understand what we have, the more we understand what it can become, the more agile the business becomes over time. And those are the companies that are, are going to do well uh, in the end. And I think, you know, as all these things, you know, the ability to build a career again, like I think this is something our parents' generation did. Like, I don't know many people here that have spent 30 years at a company, but I think, you know, if you can start providing those opportunities to people, like that becomes your brand as an employer in market and your ability then to attract 
new talent and, you know, all the knock on benefits of that just can, will continue to pay dividends. Yeah. And what great value proposition for companies that are investing in this idea of building your career internally. Absolutely. Great, great way to think about it. So then we talked a little bit about how we can get um, leadership buy-in. So I guess my next question would be, what teams or roles do you think could especially benefit from this idea of an internal mobility program? Yeah. So there's two categories that we usually look at and see. And again, this was our experience at Comcast. And I think they can play together symbiotically, which is the beauty in all of this. So the first is teams that are constantly understaffed. So I think sometimes when we talk about internal mobility, it's people moving full-time jobs, and that's a big part of it. The other part is, you know, just literally allowing people to do fractions of things or, you know, something outside their seat, like we had mentioned. And so you know, if you think about teams like product management, operations, you know, and so on, there are competitive jobs to hire for, and there was always too much to do. <laughs> I've never heard of a product team that's been staffed correctly and can just do everything it's needing to do. And you know, a lot of the work is also in project-based environments, which means you don't always need full-time heads for everything. So tasks can be broken off where folks from other teams can lend a hand. And so back to that, that question about you know, training managers to think beyond the skills and experiences, what a great way to do that, right? You have somebody you know, from different teams lending a hand, you know, getting a, a product launched or, or something like that, right? And these can be you know, small tasks. And then you're starting to get to understand how those people work, how those skills and things can translate and where there's benefit and diversity in what you can create within that team if you started bringing people over from this other group. You know, the flip are those teams then who tend to have lots of high performers, but little room for promotion, right? So this is support, customer success, and so on. These employees have a level of empathy and understanding for the product or service that's highly valuable to other groups. And a lot of those skills can transfer and many have willingness to try new roles, but if they haven't seen people make the move, they don't believe they can. So we see a lot of success, you know, again, like with roles like support or sales engineering, contributing to efforts being run in other kind of business and operational teams. And you know, I think these are groups that usually exist in a lot of companies and they're great places to start. That's great. Thanks, Nick. Great explanation about those teams and roles. So I have to ask... What do you see for the future of Flux? What do you think is next? Where will you all focus your efforts in the next year and maybe even beyond? Yeah, I mean, obviously work is going through a pretty massive rethink right now. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, most people have been focused on the oxygen level issue of like, when do we go back and how? And obviously that's important. But I think there's obviously an opportunity to rethink how we staff. You know, in many cases, time zone may be all that matters. Um, you know, but the embedded challenge we're seeing that's going to emerge is the counter to all this flexibility, both the employees, you know, being able to work from anywhere, but also companies being able to go recruit new markets they never did that they can be more competitive in. Um, you know, the flip to that flexibility is that lack of visibility we were talking about. And, you know, are we creating class systems between those who are in the office and not? Um, you know, I think we're very focused right now on helping people figure this out and the companies who can both hire and develop employees from anywhere 
will be the ones that win out in all of this once the dust is settled. So we're very focused on helping organizations set themselves up to benefit long term from all this change. And I think, you know, we've been in kind of the early innings of, you know, internal mobility, uh, you know, talent marketplaces, whatever you want to label this, really becoming this transformational business practice because we finally have the tools uh, and the data to do it well. So our goal is, you know, help as many organizations as we can go through this transition and then also help those become the case studies, uh, you know, and, and the use cases for, you know, other organizations thinking about how to do this so that there is not just technology, but there's also the playbooks uh, to do it well. And then hopefully you know, in the end, we've got people building careers again, you know, that has such an outsized impact on your livelihood that, you know, any way we can help people take the next step wherever it takes them uh, is, is something we're kind of just very highly focused on. Yeah. And Nick, I heard you say, you know, what really struck me was your comment about we're setting up these companies to benefit long term. And, and in my mind, it automatically thinks makes me start thinking about return on investment, which is probably a whole other 30 minutes. Right. But it really does. And companies, I mean, that's important today and in the future to think about what what the return is. Ah, well, gosh, it's so Nick, it's been so great to have you. We were so thrilled to have Max last week as well. So thank you so much for spending some time with us, Nick from Flux. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on. Sure. And thank you to the Nine to Thrive listeners. I will be back next week with a brand new episode. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on iTunes, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in. Thanks everyone, make it a great day.